Hello again, and welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, episode 384. This is the weekly podcast about American flowers and the people who grow and design with them. It's all about making a conscious choice, and I invite you to join the conversation and the creative community as we discuss the vital topics of saving our domestic flower farms and supporting a floral industry that relies on a safe, seasonal, and local supply of flowers and foliage. This podcast is brought to you by slowflowers.com, the free nationwide online directory to florists, shops, and studios who design with American-grown flowers and to the farms that grow those blooms. It's the conscious choice for buying and sending flowers. And thank you to our lead sponsor, Florist Review Magazine. I'm delighted to serve as contributing editor for Slow Flowers Journal, found in the pages of Florist Review. It's the leading trade magazine in the floral industry and the only independent periodical for the retail, wholesale, and supplier market. Take advantage of the special subscription offer for members of the Slow Flowers community at deborahprinzing.com, where you can also find the show notes for today's episode 384. As I mentioned in last week's show, we're switching things up with sponsor thanks. Today's first thank you goes out to Syndicate Sales, an American manufacturer of vases and accessories for the professional florist. Look for the American flag icon to find Syndicate's USA-made products and join the Syndicate Stars loyalty program at syndicatesales.com. Before I introduce today's featured guests, I want to share about our special theme of 2019, 50 States of Slow Flowers, which means beginning today and continuing through the end of 2019 for 50 consecutive weeks, I will devote a bonus mini interview at the end of each episode to speak with a member about what's happening in his or her state. Averaging 10 minutes or so will give you a snapshot of floristry, flower sourcing, and the unique character of the slow flower scene from Alabama to Wyoming and everywhere between. We'll also make some important stops along the way to speak with members in the Canadian provinces. Yay! (laughs) I'm excited about this. Today's state spotlight is Alabama's Lisa Thorne of Thorne and Thistle. So listen for our conversation at the close of this episode. Now, please meet this week's podcast guests, Jolia Gress and Jenny Hotz of Green Earth Growers. In today's conversation, you'll learn about their thriving business, their flowers, their wholesale and retail operations. Plus, you'll learn how you can join all three of us at the special Slow Flowers Dinner on the Farm, taking place June 30th, prior to the third annual Slow Flowers Summit in St. Paul, Minnesota. Our delicious and beautiful flower farm-to-table meal will take place at Green Earth Growers in Prior Lake, Minnesota. This established woman-owned plant nursery, vegetable, and cut flower farm will wow you, and I'm so pleased that Jolia and Jenny are sharing their story here today. Green Earth Growers is one of the Minnesota flower farms selling to the floral marketplace through the Twin Cities Flower Exchange. That wholesale hub is our co-host of the 2019 Slow Flowers Summit. Here's a bit more about their story. Green Earth Growers was established in 2004, located just south of the Twin Cities. 
Jenny and Jolia began by growing quality plants, produce, and cut flowers for local farmers, fundraisers, garden centers, landscapers, farmers markets, and restaurants. Slowly throughout the years, they have expanded their greenhouse growing space and farmland. The women continue to be committed to growing and producing quality products with an emphasis on sustainability. All their production, including plants, produce, and cut flowers, is grown in accordance with the National Organic Standards. Green Earth Growers is a certified naturally grown business. In 2008, Jenny and Jolia introduced Green Earth Growers CSA, growing the program from supplying an initial 20 families with weekly fresh weekly produce to more than 70 CSA members today. They added flower shares as an option in 2014 and say they love the personal connection they make with all of their CSA customers. The retail center, Green Earth Gardens, opened in 2013, operating seasonally from late April to July. The center offers sustainably grown plants that are Minnesota hardy and offer an alternative to the plants you might find at big box stores. Always experimenting with new plant varieties and growing methods, you can tell that Jenny and Jolia are passionate about flowers and plants. Their passion is contagious, and I can't wait to visit them in June. You can find and follow Green Earth Growers at all their social places, which we'll have in the links at today's show notes for episode 384. Let's get started. Welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, and I am so excited today to welcome Jolia Gress and Jenny Hotz of Green Earth Growers. Hi, ladies. Hi. Hello. Good morning. <laughs> We're doing this over Skype, so none of us can see each other, but I asked Jenny and Jolia to kind of identify themselves when they answer, so that'll help uh, you listeners follow along. Uh, Green Earth Growers is based in Prior Lake, Minnesota, and... Um, why don't, Jalea, why don't you give us a snapshot of what Green Earth Growers is and also where is Prior Lake? Uh, well, Prior Lake is about a half hour south of the Twin Cities. It's a straight shot. And we were established in late 2004. Yep. So I think we're going into our 15th or 16th year of business. Wow, that's exciting. Wow. Yeah. Cool. And um, we kind of have uh, several different facets to our business. Uh, we do a lot of bedding plants like greenhouse production, we do um, some plug production, and then we also farm. We have about two acres, a little less than two acres in flowers, and then probably about five in veggies. Wow, that's cool. And how um, how did this come to be? I mean, Jolia, I know we, I met both of you when I was in St. Paul uh, visiting Christine Hoffman and touring Twin Cities Flower Exchange uh, this past summer. We had a wonderful Slow Flowers meetup. Um, I d the main re thing I remember from meeting you both is that you're super friendly and sweet and have beautiful smiles and that you were jazzed about being part of the Twin Cities Flower Exchange and that in my mind somehow I did remember that you grew veggies because that's a little bit of a distinction, right? I mean, it's not ex not everybody's juggling flowers and food, right? Yes, yes. Correct, correct. Yep. But I seem to recall that one of you had this business in your family. Is that right? Or tell me the um, origins. Nope, no, actually, um, we are on a property of a place that used to be called Greenfingers Farm. That was a greenhouse and an organic veggie um, family-run business. Family-run business, yeah. and I used to work for them. And they have since relocated and moved to a new business up north. And when they did that, we were given the opportunity to rent the space and start our own business. And that's Jolia who's talking. 
Wow. Oh, interesting. Okay, obviously I missed that part of the narrative. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then Jenny, uh, did were you guys just friends, or how did you bring Jenny in on the uh, endeavor? Yes, we are both uh, University of Minnesota alumni and uh, met over on the St. Paul campus uh, years ago. And so when uh, Jolie was uh, working out here, the Greenfingers Farms went through a little bit of a transition. It changed ownership and they were looking to hire a few new people. And um, I was one of the new hires. And so that's what kind of got me out in this area and um, in, in the industry as well. Wow, that's cool. And were you both horticulture majors or I know nope. not everybody follows that path. <laughs> I know I didn't. No, we were both. Uh, I don't think our college exists anymore. No. We were both college of natural resource majors. Yeah. yeah. But there's some kind of environmental con connection there, land connection, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. So when you started and you took over, kind of took over this infrastructure uh, from Green Fingers and re did you rebrand re as Green Earth Growers? We did, yep. And did you have kind of an idea of how you wanted to change or redirect or, you know, mix it up or what was, I mean, it's been 15 years, so you probably had a lot of evolution in the business. Correct, yep. yep. I think in the beginning we were just really floored that we... <laughs> had a farm and we're doing a business. <laughs> <laughs> like, wow, someone wants to lease this to us. <laughs> yep. And this is Jenny, but, and Jean, um, the person who had previously owned Greenfingers Farms and whose land we are leasing, he kind of offered us um, a niche market of growing plugs for farmers for the Twin City metro area. Um, it was kind of a market that he had developed and since uh, he had moved on and, and built a different greenhouse range, um, this market was no longer being served. And it was customer base that he had developed over the past, what, 15, 20 years. Yeah. So I think he felt somewhat obligated um, to still kind of provide the service. So that was the first opportunity that we had and how we came into, I guess, making money in the farming and greenhouse businesses. We grew um, plugs uh, that farmers, you know, custom ordered from us, and then we would uh, grow them up, and they'd, you know, transplant out into their farm fields. Wow, what? A, how? What a gift to have a built-in customer base as in your first year. I mean, that's that must have yeah. really helped. That that was helpful, and then I had done some of the office stuff for Jean, so mm -hmm. I had a lot of contacts for our wholesale and different yeah. people. So we we were really lucky in how we fell into everything. I think. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't, like a it wasn't like a complete, uh, you know, kind of blank slate. You, you've entered that in partnership with some, some sense that you could make it that year, that first year. Yes, um, correct. Yep. I cut one of you off. Were you going to say something, Jenny? Oh, no. And I was just going to say um, in the short time that I was working out here when it was Greenfingers Farms, um, I had done a lot of like the seeding and kind of more the production end of it. So with kind of the skills that we both had together, we it was enough to get us through those first couple of years and, and give it a go. So we felt somewhat, I guess, confident that we would be able to, um, you know, continue on the same level of service that, you know, Green Fingers Farms did for their um, farm plug customers. Well, it's kind of like that whole uh, incubate, um, you know, from one farmer to the next model that uh, is essential. I mean, it's just one of those things yeah. that, People think they have to start from scratch, but uh, you guys got lucky. We did. Mm -hmm. And we're still lucky. We um, The area that we're in, we have several other farmers. And I think when we first started, they kind of got a kick out of us because we were two dreadlock young kids. Hippie girls. 
<laughs> and we were farming our little less than a half acre probably. Mm-hmm. And they'd see us out there. And I think, you know, they, they we were probably kind of a joke, a laugh. <laughs> and now that we're still here, I think we've gained their respect. And we get along very well with them. And like, we all help each other out. I would like to think we've taught them a thing or two with <laughs> our small scale farming as well that they might have never thought of. And, and you know, their big tractor corn production it's so funny (laughs) yeah it's funny you say that jenny because i was just going to ask you like what is the agricultural uh you know the primary agricultural crop it's not flowers probably no 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 out here's a lot of corn and soybeans a lot of corn yeah Uh, big big acreage um yeah corn and soybeans wow Wow. Well, you're proving that having a niche and being specialty is a value-added, you know, deal that they maybe respect and re- and admire, even though they're not going to change probably. But <laughs> um, so you said you have two acres of field for field-grown crops, and then what is your like um, greenhouse uh, high tunnel situation? Like, how much under glass or under cover are you growing? Um, we have, this is Jolie, we have two different ranges. We have a wholesale range. Um, and then down the street, like a farm field away, we have our retail range. Our wholesale range is about, um, oh, 30 something thousand square feet with a growing space. And then the retails maybe 15,000 or so. It's probably pretty close to about an acre underneath the plastic. Wow. When you say retail, is that, you mean like if I was just a resident of the area, I could come in and, and shop like going to my local garden center? Yep. We have a little garden center that's seasonally open from May through July. Late April, I guess. Uh, in fact, I saw that on your website. You had the, uh, you have your reader board up saying, you know, open Tuesdays two to seven, canning tomatoes. So that was like from a, a summer, sign that you had up for the locals to come in and. Correct. So yeah. How, how do you do that then? Is one of you stay on one property and one on the other, or? Um. No, we both um, tend to work more like in the greenhouse season in our wholesale range because that's kind of more where we started. We just opened the retail store probably about four years ago or so. Um, and we have another full-time employee that kind of takes the lead over there. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously some seasonal um, help. We've been really lucky with um, recurring good seasonal help um, that we're kind of hobby jobs for people in the area that might not need a nine to five, but really like flowers and plants and gardening and will come and help out for a few months throughout the year. Um, so yeah, our other full-time employee kind of really manages the store when it's open. And then the store is open more limited hours throughout the summer. Like when you were talking about the post that you saw about the canning tomatoes, right. we do, yeah, we, we do have the store open one day a week for, um, our CSA box pickups. And then we do sell, um, produce and veggies on site as well, but it's just, it's limited hours at this point. So I asked you for a snapshot and I kind of got off track a little bit. And what the currently, like, what is the dis- percentage split between your, th- it sounds like you kind of have three aspects. You have cut flowers, plugs, and then food. Is that roughly how the pie is, is divided or am I missing something? Um, I guess we kind of divided up wholesale, like wholesale bedding plants, and then our retail and then farm field. And then within the farm field, we have it divided between flowers and veggies. So, um, so are flowers uh, still in the kind of less than 50% of your, I guess the, if you're kind of plants and cut flowers, it's probably more than 50%. Yeah. Right. Yeah. If you're just counting cut flowers, 
yeah, the vet, we grow more veggies in the farm field than we do flowers, but the, the flowers are, um, begin, they're, they're, they're starting to take up more space. (laughs) Well, it's exciting. It's like, you've really diversified, but not to the point where you're being torn in different directions. You must have it all kind of synced up so you, the bedding plants are really early in the season and the veggies yeah. get started and then you move into summer production. I mean, it must be very yeah, much right. seasonal. It's a total spring to summer to fall transition with our seasons out here and it works well because I think by the time we're done and ready to be done with greenhouse season, then produce really starts coming on and it's, it's a good switch up. Are you busy 12 months of the year? Because I know you're obviously, what, zone for something, right? Yeah, pretty pretty much. I know people always like to think that we vacation. vacation. <laughs> um, but we pretty much go, you know, greenhouse season, which starts the end of January. We start, we open our greenhouses then, just a few of them, and then slowly build. And then we transition to the farm field. And then after about October or so, we come back. And start, you know, repairing greenhouses, re-roofing, reskinning greenhouses, maintenance, ordering plants, catalogs, all that stuff. Just so basically, it doesn't really stop. Yeah, like know? recovering from this season and getting ready for next season. It sounds Correct. like. Yeah, I, I, this is Jenny. I would say like our downtime is November to December, but uh, really we're getting right. We're we're ending one season and beginning the next season, so there's still a lot to do in those few months, even though be nice to just you know vacation all winter but it it doesn't happen yet (laughs) well what um i guess i want to ask you about the cut flowers in the field are they mostly annuals or do you what other crops are you are you doing bulb crops at all um mainly we have some annuals we do have a few woodies and some perennials that we've been planting out the last few years um we don't do too much with bulbs um just strictly because the greenhouse season kind of gets away in the way in the spring. But um, I've been trying a few things here or there in crates and different things um, just to see what we can manage. And just too, because we're in the greenhouses, what we could force and have a little bit earlier. Oh yeah. I bet you could really. We're, we're a little spoiled with all the greenhouse space we have. Yeah. <laughs> if you only could like clone yourself, you could you know, jump in and do all those early ranunculus <laughs> yeah. and anemones and that sort of thing. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure the demand is there. <laughs> maybe, maybe we're letting a, letting the genie out of the bottle because people will start asking you for that. But you know, it sounds like you've grown, you've managed your growth in a really organic way, like uh, without having to take a lot on a lot of debt and that sort of thing. Yes. Yeah. So you, we met through the Twin Cities Flower Exchange, uh, but you had all earlier joined Slow Flowers, and I, it might have been through knowing Christine. I don't really know the story of how you got involved with working with Twin Cities Flower Exchange. It's, is this your second or third season that you've just wrapped up? Uh, we just wrapped up our second. So um, I think la- I, last year was the first year. Okay. Um, and I just met Christine through word of mouth because I had heard from someone that um, – that the flower exchange was happening and whatnot and sent out an email to her and yeah, the rest is history. It's been a, it's been a great platform and just a outlet for us to be able to get our flowers out there. Um, before that, mainly we were just um, market farmers. We would sell a lot at the farmer's markets and a little CSA. So it's been nice. Are you still, do you find that you can do both? Like you could still have your direct to consumer channel, like at the farmer's markets or the CSA, but then also 
have enough to sell direct, you know, through the wholesale channel of Twin Cities Flower Exchange? Yeah. Yeah. It's worked out really well. The flower exchange is kind of at the beginning of the week. And so um, we're able to take a lot of that product to Christine. And then the end of the week tends to be more um, our market mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. market time. So, wow. And then recently we've been selling to um, a local grocery store chain up here. And so um, I think they have like 14 stores and we've been selling to three. Oh, wow. So hopefully we'll slowly grow that a little bit too. Which chain is it? Uh, it's called Kowalski's. Oh, I wondered about that. I just interviewed somebody from there. Um, Rob Carey. Yeah. Yep, yep, we love Rob. Yep, Rob's great. <laughs> oh, good. We, we, we know Rob through the wholesale greenhouse bedding plants for years. So that's how we got into Kowalski's, which was yeah. nice. Good. So. Let's do a story about about that relationship for Super Floral Magazine sometime in the in the coming year. Maybe when I come out in the uh, for the Slow Flower Summit, we can do something about that. Cause yeah, sure. I, this is a complete aside, but that one of my other missions is because of my florist review relationship. I write for Super Floral, which is this sister magazine that they produce strictly for mass market grocery floral departments. My goal is to show stories of how grocery is successfully partnering with local flower farmers to keep, you know, to offer their customers some local products. So you guys would be a perfect example of that. Nice. Yeah. It's one of, it's been a nice relationship too, because, um, you know, slowly as we're growing, we kind of are given a, we were given a st- one store last year and we got two more stores this year. Um, so just slowly as we're able to provide them with product and whatnot, hopefully we can grow that more with them. Are you doing cut flowers and, and potted plants or, or planted flowers or? Um, we've, we've done both with them. Yes. Okay. Um, that kind of makes me, I have a couple questions. My head is spinning. You're doing some, so many exciting things. I do want to ask you about branding. Like, are you, you able to use a Minnesota grown or a green earth growers label that kind of identifies you or is that something you you've pursued? Um, we are, we are Minnesota grown. Um, I don't know if we necessarily, we probably really don't take advantage of that as much as far as like branding on products with it. Um, a lot of stuff that goes out with our stuff, will have, um, our name on it and where it's grown and whatnot. Um, oh, so I think marketing and branding is an area we're still trying to conquer. <laughs> We've spent a lot of our time mastering like our flow and what we grow here and how we are a little ebb and flow in what we do. Um, and we're learning branding and marketing is probably one of the next steps for us to try to oh, get on top of. Right. But having, you know, I guess just having your, your city and state on your product, that's kind of enough in some, for some customers to know that it's local, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And then, and then Minnesota grown is a dis- specific program that like the state department of agriculture administers, right? Yes. Yep. You, you buy like a little license to it. And then you use stickers or something like that. Yep. Very and then cool. they also put out like a directory that I think is widely distributed. Um, I know from like the veggie standpoint, we get a lot of people that uh, track down our CSA through the Minnesota grown directory. We've had really good results with that from them. You mean uh, individuals, customers looking for CSA farms to yeah, buy from? Yeah, they've, they've been able to find us and reach out to us. And um, a, a lot of times, yeah, they found us via that Minnesota-grown directory. So it is widely used. So, Jenny, how is the CSA set up? Do you just have one price level? And, or 
what what has worked in terms of that that particular um, channel? Yes, we've got uh, two different price levels. Um, our CSA uh, program goes for 16 weeks. We have a, a full share price level for, um, and then we have a, a half share price level. And it's it's basically the same amount of produce in each box. It's just the difference is frequency. So mm-hmm. the full share is for the full 16 weeks, and the half share is for every other week or eight weeks of the season. And do you put ever put flowers in those CSA boxes? Uh, we offer a flower share also. And so the flower share goes for 10 weeks and we do it the same. We offer a full share for 10 weeks or we offer a half share every other for five weeks. Oh, so somebody could add that on to their veggie yep. box. Cool. Correct. Yep. Um, and then everything's picked up at your retail um, property. Nope. We have drop sites throughout the Twin Cities. What? Oh, wow. So you're already driving into the Twin Cities to deliver your CSA boxes. Yep. And are you doing that on the same day that you're taking uh, flowers up to Twin Cities Fire Exchange, or do you have to run a couple days of delivery? Um, it actually is on the same day. It's yeah, Tuesdays. <laughs> yep, Tuesdays a busy day for us. Oh, <laughs> well, that makes it that makes it efficient, right? I love yes. that. Well, um, before you started taking flowers to sell through the Twin Cities Flower Exchange, did, had you? connected with florists in the Twin Cities in St. Paul or Minneapolis or had they known about you or has this sort of become a new a new uh, channel for you? Um, it's become a new channel for us. That's um, awesome. We had maybe like uh, one or two florists we knew down this way um, but other than that yeah we hadn't connected with too many people up there. Mm-hmm. Oh wow so it's kind of opened up your horizons to, to what's happening on the I'm, su- I'm assuming like wedding and event floral designers, especially who are looking for unique, fresh, seasonal product. Yep. Wow. Yes. Good. I bet they love it when you walk in with all the <laughs> bucket loads of, st- well, you deliver on Tuesdays, right? And then the- We do. Then we sh- do. Then they're open for shopping on Wednesdays is my understanding. Yeah. Last year, uh, there was one day where Christine was um, out of town and a couple of the growers ran the market. And so I went up that day to hang out with them and it was nice to see the people come in and shop. Yeah. It was, it was a different point of view. So that was good. That's awesome. That is so great. Well, speaking of your farm and your beautiful flowers and all the, all the food that you're growing, I, I just, we have to pivot to talk about the slow flowers dinner on the farm that is going to be the day before the Slow Flowers Summit. I just, first of all, want to publicly thank you both for saying you'll host this. I know it's not easy to get through any week on a flower farm, but to have, you know, 100 people descend on you and a whole restaurant set up, that's going to be a, that's going to be a workout. It is. It's slightly terrifying, but we're looking forward to it. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's going to be great. Um, We, We've never done this before, but a lot of, a lot of, well, this is only the third year for the Slow Flower Summit, but a lot of informal meals take place, you know, when people meet in a hotel lobby or they meet on Facebook and say, hey, let's get together. But it's not as impactful, I think, as having a, an opportunity for the speakers, the attendees, the local floral community to all get together around one table. Yeah, so- I think it's going to be really exciting. So Christine Hoffman actually suggested this because she's involved with this um, 
local uh, culinary endeavor called Dinner on the Farm, which is owned by a woman named Monica Walsh. And we'll try to get her on the podcast sometime later in the spring, especially when she's ready to talk about the menu. But I understand that she does these um, kind of farm-to-table productions at farms around the Twin Cities that are kind of like pop-up dinners that celebrate local agriculture. And I don't know if she's ever been on a flower farm before. So this is this is going to be awesome, I think, for sort of her followers as well. But um, the fact that you have food, I'm just curious, are you hoping to provide some of the like vegetables or herbs think, for that? I think so. Yep. I, what I mean, depending on what we'll have in season, which will probably maybe be some squash and lettuce, yeah. greens, but yeah, we're hoping to provide whatever we can. Wow. That'll be so exciting. And when people come, um, we're going to have a uh, kind of two parts. One is the, that afternoon on the, the day we're talking about, sorry, is Sunday, June 30th, the day before the summit on July 1st. So, uh, both, um, Rachel Ackerman of Blue Sky Flower Farm and the two of you with Green Earth Growers are opening your farms for sort of free self-guided flower farm tours in the afternoon. But at some point, we'll probably have to close the gates to the free tours and just say this is the dinner separate. Going to start around, I don't have the time specifically in my mind. I think the tour is at four and maybe dinner will start around 5.30 or 6. And um, then hopefully we'll we'll have a chance to just sit down and enjoy ourselves. And maybe the two of you can as well. (laughs) That'll be nice, especially that time of year. (laughs) Well, uh, where are you planning on putting the tables? Have you even thought about, have you done anything like this before on the farm? We have not really. No, it has also, it's always been kind of a pipe dream of Mm -hmm. us. Like we've always thought it would be so great to have the opportunity to host something like this. So I think when it came about, we were really excited about it. So um, there's a there's a couple I think like areas that are um, probably flat enough, uh, easy enough access to like parking and stuff like that that we kind of have in mind. Mm. Um, but you know, by no means are we flow or site experts. We're probably <laughs> going to leave that up to the people who are coming out here to make the final call. <laughs> I think it's a great setup to have this uh, dinner on the farm organization kind of handle all that stuff that would blow my mind, like. Where do you rent chairs and tables and how do you, you know, transport it all and set it up? Like they handle all of that and they're, they're handling the ticket sales so that it's not like this money is going to, to you or to Slow Flowers. It's really just to cover the cost of producing that dinner. So I'm, I'm glad there's someone who has a business that does this. So it's it's really (laughs) cool. And, And that they're really in the business of celebrating farmers like you in the Twin Cities. So it, it, it's going to be, a, I think, a, a win for everybody. Um, so thank you in advance. Um, I can't wait to visit your farm and, and the photos that you shared with me uh, a couple weeks ago, Julia, for um, a blog post are gorgeous. So I'm going to use some of those on the um, show notes for today's podcast and um, make sure everybody knows how to follow you and find you, but they'll get to meet you in person too. So that's that's exciting. Well, we thank you very much. We're just really honored. We're we're still in shock and awe a little bit <laughs> of some of it. So I love it. You know, uh, a friend of mine said to me last week, "I'm just going to take what flows toward me uh, rather than fighting upstream." And I was like, "Okay, I like that metaphor. Like when things come your way, be open to them." And I I'm grateful that you were you were. Open to 
hair, the, I don't know, this crazy idea that Christine and I had. Um, before we go, I do wanted to go back to something that um, we kind of talked about before we turned on the recorder, and that was uh, Jenny had mentioned uh, that to me that, you know, this, this plug business and flower starts and veggie starts too, I guess, is kind of a, a hidden part business opportunity for flower farmers. And I know you're doing plugs and describe what plugs are and like what, how that business model takes place. Cause it sounds like that's sort of the, the bedrock of how you started green earth growers. Yeah. So probably about this time of year through February, we have um, farmers come in and they place orders with us. Um, we have a little catalog. So we do offer a few varieties or people do bring us their seed to custom grow. Really? Wow. And then um, we grow it based on kind of when they want to pick it up and get it planted. And usually it's just like a little plug that they transplant into their field. We offer like a 128 size or a 72 size tray. Yep. Yeah. And it, it's just custom grown for them. Wow. And so uh, is it the reason someone would buy plugs from a, a service like yours is that they don't have a, maybe don't have a greenhouse or they don't have the labor or expertise. Is that kind of why they yeah, would do it? I think a lot of it, maybe they just don't have the space. And we have a short growing season up here. So a lot of the things that we do plugs for are things that take, you know, longer days, like onions, tomatoes, peppers, things eucalyptus. that, yeah. And for the flowers, it's a lot of like eucalyptus status, some snapdragons. It's, it's things that, um, you know, it, it does help to get a leg up putting a plant in the ground over putting seed in the ground in uh, our short season. Yeah, yeah. And it's you've got it systematized, so it's it's still a revenue stream for you. It's not, you're not doing this as a charity. It's it's actually worth it to you to offer this service. Yeah, yeah. As, as we're heating greenhouses to start our starts, it kind of offsets the cost to be starting starts for other people as well, too, because um, heating in the wintertime in Minnesota is not cheap. No, it's not. <laughs> And it's nice because it gives us a little bit of a revenue stream. We require a down payment since it is custom grown. Mm. So that gets us a little bit of cash flow this time of year, along with our CSAs, people that um, start to have their signups trickle in. Yeah. Oh, right. So that right. gives us some cash flow until the money starts to come in because our main wholesale and like the retail greenhouse cash doesn't really start to come in until May or April. And then, you know, the flowers and the farming, that money doesn't come in until even later. So it's yeah. a nice little thing that gives us a little bit of revenue up front. Too. Yeah. Because otherwise you've got this giant bubble in the middle of summer where you're making all this, you know, all yeah. these sales, but you've got to like stretch that to last for the lean right. times too. Yeah. Have you um, done lisianthus at all? I know that's something that can't, it seems to be easier to start from plug. In um, plugs. Yeah. We, we do. We start all of our own lisianthus and then we have several growers that bring us seed that we start theirs too. Wow, that's exciting. Anything new that you're going to try to grow this year uh, in the, you know, from seed to plug to flower? I, I'm, I'm not sure that I even know what the most popular things are, but probably unusual colors and, and varieties that people, fla uh, florists find and then want you guys to grow, right? Yeah, we will. I tend to, it's kind of nice that we have like the cross between like our bedding plants and the farm field um, because we're able to kind of take some of the things we see in that and try to see if they work well as cut flowers. So I like doing a lot of foliage, you know, like Peltranthus, Althurnia, mm. uh, you know, the scented geraniums, different things like that. Oh, so smart. So like that might be in a hanging basket or something, you know, more sort of gardeny, and you're seeing whether it will have 
uh, interest in the uh, for cut flowers for yeah yeah or like mixed begonias um yep. there's a griffin that i really like um it's just yeah i feel like we get to kind of play with stuff a little bit more than the average person oh wow and i i just think that the foliage diverse foliage is like one of the biggest growth areas for the slow flowers you know industry because it's uh you know foliage is something that dif helps florists differentiate their designs and so you even men mentioning yeah. you have eucalyptus is amazing in minnesota that's fabulous yeah well and it just brings such texture too i think you know very cool. sorry we just we have a garbage person showing up for jenny just stepped outside <laughs> That's our, okay. Our cardboard trash can is getting <laughs> dropped off. Hey, it's life on the farm. It's okay. Um, <laughs> well, maybe it's time to close this interview. <laughs> I am so grateful that we did this, especially during you know the end of the year when when uh, it's always hard to grab people and their schedules. And um, I'm we'll share this interview early in 2018-19 when we uh, you know keep pushing um, the you know, getting people to register for the Slow Flower Summit and be sure to grab their tickets for dinner on the farm and plan their travel to the Twin Cities. Um, it's going to be really exciting and I'm, I'm so glad that we'll, you're going to be part of it. I'm really grateful and um, I hear we've, I, I think something like 10 dinner tickets have already been sold. So people are grabbing those, those reservations now and uh, that's exciting. Hey, yeah, we're really excited and I think, um, you know, it's just, it's exciting to have Minnesota kind of be on show and tell. I mean, the flower exchange is a great group of farmers. Um, and then even outside the flower exchange, there's more farmers up here. And um, yeah, it's just a lot of good energy, good people. That's awesome. Well, Julia and Jenny, thank you both so much. And as I said, we'll share some photos that um, we'll introduce our listeners to Green Earth Growers and make sure that everyone knows how to follow you on your social places. And until then, uh, best wishes for a happy new year. Thank you. Hey, thank you. Take happy care. Holiday. Thanks. Yep. Thanks. So much for joining my conversation today with Jolia Gress and Jenny Hotz of Green Earth Growers. This is Slow Flowers Podcast episode 384, originally broadcast on Wednesday, January 16th, 2019. Visit our show notes for today's episode to see photos and find links and more resources about Green Earth Growers, including details about the Slow Flowers Dinner on the farm, which they will host as a pre-event just prior to the July 1st and 2nd Slow Flowers Summit. Our second sponsor spotlight goes out to friends at Team Flower and the Team Flower Conference, a professional floral event where flower lovers from all over the world gather for networking, learning, and celebration. It's a special time for the floral industry to come together, and whether you're a farmer, designer, wholesaler, or just love flowers, you're invited to attend as Team Flower's dreams big for the industry's future. Head to teamflower.org slash soflowers to learn more about the 2019 conference in Waco, Texas. And now let's meet Lisa Thorne of Thorne and Thistle and visit today's show notes at deborahprinzing.com to see photos of Lisa, her beautiful floral designs, and to find links to her social places. Lisa's gonna tell us all about Alabama.
Well, today I'm really excited to start our ambitious 50-state review of Slow Flowers Coast to Coast. And uh, <laughs> we're starting in Alabama with Lisa Thorne. Uh, Lisa is the uh, owner of Thorne and Thistle in central Alabama. And she's a wedding and event planner with an emphasis on flowers. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Deborah. So good to be here. <laughs> yeah, it's great to hear your voice. Um, we met, I think we met in Alaska when we were at uh, Scenic Place Peonies two summers ago, right? Yes. Yes, that beautiful place. That was so fun. That was fun. And you were uh, helping um, produce the uh, flowers for the Field to Vase dinner with Kelly Shore. And uh, we spent a lot of time just gabbing. And I really, I'm really glad we got to meet each other in person. Yes, it was so much fun. I would love to go back. I know. Well, and then um, the following year, I was writing articles for the Southern Emphasis uh, themed issue for Florist Review. Uh, I think that was in the fall of 2017, and I asked you if you would do an interview with me, and you produced a beautiful photo shoot with American Grown and Local Flowers on a really, like, was that like a historically significant property? Yes, it was. The the, the property was um, uh, Annabelle and, um, and one of the big first city, well, townships in the state. Wow. Well, there's a distinct character of floral design in Alabama, and I feel like you're the best person to talk about this. Um, why don't, can you just talk a little bit about your, uh, your style and your, how, how Thorn and Thistles kind of falls in the, the greater floral marketplace, uh, just what you're known for and your distinction. Oh, okay. Well, I think I first became known in the area um, because I foraged so much. This has been 30 years ago, Deborah, I've been doing this a while. And I became known as the florist that didn't look like a florist. <laughs> and <laughs> Wait, say that again. The florist who didn't look like a florist? <laughs> florist, yes. And the, the, her flowers don't look like a florist. So they would call me and go, you're not a florist because your flowers don't look like a florist, but we like it. So I really didn't have a name for it. But now, of course, it's garden style. I think that's the, you know, more commonly used name mm -hmm. uh, whenever you see it described. And um, I was always foraging here. I mean, we had an abundance of things that translate into a beautiful look. Very, we have, I have Smilax growing in my backyard, um, Iliagnus, which is just a vine growing wild, and it's available year round. So I can, I can give this look anytime by foraging. So I was always greenery based. Mm. So that's kind of how I started. And of course, then I would buy the flowers that complemented that more of a garden rose look, things that had movement and a lot of texture. But it was hard to describe it at first. And now I feel that there's, you know, garden style really encapsulates the style. It's almost like the industry caught up with, with the aesthetic that you've been doing for decades in terms of just your, your personal interest in, in what grows naturally in the area. Right. And it's how Southern. Um, ladies decorate their homes. I mean, the, when we decorate at Christmas, we go forage all the stuff. Mm -hmm. We don't really buy garland. We don't. It's the normal thing to do here, but I actually did this for weddings. So it, 
translating it into a wedding look where things weren't so uniform was unusual, Mm -hmm. I think, at the time, Mm -hmm. at least in my area, my local community. So, and I do live in a small town, so, um, but it is the way I've always just done flowers in my home. And I think it's very, actually very English. Yeah. Well, you're, you have an interior design background too. So there's, there's a lot of this is integrated into the whole space and how you live, right? Right, right. But my mother is an avid gardener. And so I think a part of the reason I felt comfortable was being in the garden with her all the time and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, cutting flowers and doing my own arrangements without any, then I got formal training. But in the beginning, that's how I did, you know, flowers straight from the garden. Well, I remember when we first met and I started quizzing you about, well, what's happening on the local flower farming scene in Alabama? And you kind of looked at me with a with a blank stare, like, what are you talking about, Deborah? <laughs> I, and that's okay. I, I want to talk about it a little bit. There are people starting micro farms in the state of Alabama, but it's definitely not caught fire like some other parts of the country as far as my observation. Has that been your experience? Yes, and I really had hoped, um, especially after our conversation, I began really doing active searches thinking, well, maybe they're out there and I just haven't searched hard enough for for the farmers. But they're really um, very scattered in Alabama, mostly north and not in my area in the central part, and then a few down near the coast. Mm -hmm. But they really are more nurseries with some cut flower production. Mm So in the south, um, but in the north, there are some growers, but they are going to local farmer's markets. So for me to buy, and I do buy from them, I make an appointment and go to the farm. Um, but that's only when I'm doing weddings because we travel, we cover the southeast. When, I'm, when, I'm, when I have a wedding that's in their vicinity, I, I try to go and buy from them. I see. So you're trying to get uh, find out who the growers are closer to the venue because you're, you're doing yes. destination weddings. Yes, and Deborah, I actually, knowing we were going to talk today, I did a little search on Instagram because that's my new resource for finding everything. Obviously, <laughs> we're all looking there. And I did a hashtag for Alabama farm, uh, Flower Farms, and there were five pictures. But I did find two farmers. Oh, well, that's great. So, Isn't that amazing? Yeah, like so, you, you're, sh- yeah. you're demonstrating that it takes some it's being a detective, basically, to figure out where yes. people are. Yes. Yes, and they were too unknown to me, but also in the northern part of the state. So I do think this is, it's going to become, you know, we're going to have more. And I think as people start doing it and they share ideas, then other farmers can sprout up, you know, sprout up, no pun. But I I know (laughs) for me, I I know for me, I, I really can't source them now until I'm traveling to that destination for the wedding. Right, because a four hour drive to, get a couple buckets isn't really that that eats into your profit margin completely right right so um but we do we are able to go to the farmer's market pick them up or buy them direct Mm. when we're in that area easily Mm -hmm. so yeah and and then lisa you um also work with wholesalers who are getting product maybe direct shipped to you or in other in like as you said atlanta is a big market for you how are you doing that well, I actually go to Atlanta and buy from the wholesaler, and they have the um, locally grown product in a special place in the cooler. Wow. And, I, I, that, yes, that gives me, um, um, yeah, it's set aside, and it goes fast. So I've learned to go on Tuesday now mm. um, if I want to get the locally grown product. But 
Um, I still don't know who grew it. They don't really advertise for the farmers. They, but they right. do allow, you know, they do buy from them and resell it. Um, and so I also order a lot from California to get California grown flowers, but mm-hmm. especially the roses, mm-hmm. um, the garden roses. And so, um, so again, that's how I yeah, and you're still having to be quite, quite a, um, master procurement director. Like you've just named five or six different ways that you're getting flowers. Um, it is, it's a challenge and, and I hope that people hear this and, and reach out to you and maybe we'll, we'll unearth a few more growers in, uh, in yeah. Alabama. Please do. Yes. And I follow all the farmers I can find who are, you know, who are providing a product I can't get closer to home. I follow them on Instagram and please, you know, send me a message through Instagram. That's how I really like to keep up with what's going on with the flower farmers that I can source from and what maybe what availability there is and all of that. Mm. Well, I want to talk. Yeah, I'd love to. uh, We'll we'll get the word out. I'd love to ask you about two other things before we wrap up. Number one, you are growing some of your own and you've always cut from your own garden, right? And that that seems to be maybe taking on a bigger role for you. Right, right. Um, Well, I'm actually searching right now for a little more space. Um, so I can grow some different items. Um, and so, and I'm also kind of moving into a different time zone for growing things. Mm. Um, we're in a really hot, humid area where I live right now. So I'm trying to move a little further north, um, but still be in Alabama and, and grow some things myself. Wow, that's great. The other thing that you mentioned early on is that you have Smilex on your property. Now, we don't have mm-hmm. it. We don't have Smilex here in the Pacific Northwest, but I know what an essential design ingredient it is. Like are are people mm-hmm. are people calling you and begging you to send it to them or is this like <laughs> how, how, how does that work? I've had a few requests for it in a pinch, but we really <laughs> And that, that's it. not your business. You don't want to be a Smilex no. provider. Yeah, We really can't because we actually, you know, we're stalking through the woods um, on the farm, pulling it down. And it's basically enough for me to provide for, for the local brides or the brides I serve. But, um, but yes, it's, it's here. I mean, I can drive down the road and it's everywhere. It's just a very, it actually, people here, it's really funny, thank me when they see me cutting it down. <laughs> They're like, good. It's sort of like yeah. uh, English ivy in the Pacific Northwest. Like, we want to eradicate it from the forest. <laughs> That's right. And oh. the, it's called down here, especially the people, the, all, the more mature people who grew up with it, and they call it Jackson Vine. And they go, That's Jackson Vine you put up there at the altar. That's growing everywhere. You can come cut it down at my house, too. <laughs> so it's me, yes. That's great. I'm not advertising that anyone reach out to Lisa and try to get her to do this. But oh, if you're, I wish I could. <laughs> no, but it's just interesting that uh, that is a very highly valued um, product because it lasts so long, right? Yes, it's great. I actually have carried it over from wedding to wedding, um, and it's it's so. Um, it's so it changes. It's so beautiful. Right now, it has blueberries on it here, mm. kind of little clusters of blueberries. But it's a great product. Yeah, mm. that's interesting. Well, Lisa, I'm so glad you could give us a little snapshot of Alabama. I'd love to share a few photos of your beautiful work. You're such a talented designer, and I love your style. And oh, um, yeah, we'll we'll have a few photos on our show notes for today's episode, and also. 
how people can follow you on Instagram because I hope a few people reach out and offer to help you find more local product. And um, let's watch how the farming community grows uh, in Alabama. I'd like to see that happen. Oh, I would too. And that would be amazing. Uh, Deborah. thank you so much. Oh, fun. It's so great talking to you, Lisa. Thanks a lot. And I hope I see you in 2019. Oh, I hope so too. Okay. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye. much for joining me on this journey, seeking new and inspiring voices, people with passion, heart, commitment, and expertise to share with you. I hope today's episode gave you at least one inspiring insight or tip to apply to your floral enterprise. What you gain will be multiplied as you pay it forward and help someone else. We have a vital and vibrant community of flower farmers and floral designers who together define the Slow Flowers movement. As our cause gains more supporters and more passionate participants who believe in the importance of the American cut flower industry, the momentum is contagious. I know you feel it too. I value your support and I invite you to show your thanks with a donation to support my ongoing advocacy, education, and outreach activities. You can find the donate button in the column to the right at deborahprincing.com. Our final sponsored thanks today goes to the Association of Specialty Cut Flower Growers. Formed in 1988, ASCFG was created to educate, unite, and support commercial cut flower growers. Its mission is to help growers produce high-quality floral material and to foster and promote the local availability of that product. You can learn more at ASCFG.org. And check out the website for details about the upcoming Focus on the Business of Cut Flowers conference set for February 18th and 19th in Denver. Seven of the experts presenting at the conference are past guests of the Slow Flowers podcast, so you'll recognize some familiar faces, names, and topics in the lineup. The Slow Flowers Summit is six months away, so please save three dates on your calendar as you plan your travel to St. Paul, Minnesota. First, our bonus flower farm tours and Slow Flowers Dinner on the Farm taking place on Sunday, June 30th. I hope today's interview with the the Green Earth Growers team will inspire you to uh, put that on your calendar. Then Monday, July 1st, we'll all gather at the PICA event space in St. Paul for day one of the summit, followed by Tuesday, July 2nd, where we will tour the Twin Cities Flower Exchange as it's swimming in locally grown abundant flowers. I can't wait to see you there. Ticket sales continue with a special Slow Flowers member discount at $375 so please make your way to slowflowersummit.com to learn all about the many opportunities to join us from flower farm tours and dinner on a flower farm to business and branding presentations to interactive and inspiring design sessions all designed to serve you sign up to receive updates at slowflowersummit.com The Slow Flowers podcast has been downloaded more than 397,000 times by listeners like you. Thank you for listening, commenting, and sharing. It means so much. Thank you all. I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of the Slow Flowers podcast. Next week, you're invited to join me in putting more American-grown flowers on the table, one vase at a time. And if you like what you hear, please consider logging on to iTunes and posting a listener review. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone 
or those of my guests alone, independent of any podcast sponsor or other person, company, or organization. The Slow Flowers podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Brenlin. Learn more about his work at soundbodymovement.com. Thank you.